Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. As you are grabbing your seat, go ahead and grab a Bible as well. If you did not bring one, there should be a hardback uh, black one around you somewhere. If you don't own one, that is our gift to you as well, and so you can take that with you. Um, and just again, want a happy Mother's Day um, to, to the mothers out there, um, and uh, we're glad that you are celebrating with us uh, today here at the district. My name is Dwayne, one of the teaching pastors here um, at the church, and uh, just really excited to dive into God's Word today, um, because we know that um, opinions of of men and opinions of women are, are good and advice is great here and there, but it's the Word of God that really drives us. It's the Word of God that uh, conforms us to the image of Christ. It's, it's the Word of God that is ultimately transforming our lives from one degree of glory to the next. And so we, we're here as a church, as believers, under the banner of the gospel, under the truth of God's Word. And, and so we want it to change us. We want it to um, get into our minds. We want it to get into our hearts. We want it to get into our souls. We, we want our lives to ultimately be shaped by the Word of God because the Word of God testifies to Christ. And so we, we know Christ. We want to know Christ. We want to know God. Christ is the representation of God, and so we want to know God as well. And the Scriptures are what ultimately testify to Christ as Christ is testifying to the Father and God. And so we, we hold these Scriptures up high, and we want to um, we want to dive into them today, and we're going to be covering a big chunk of our passage in Acts. And so if you haven't been with us um, up until today, uh, our church is walking through the book of Acts right now, verse by verse. Um, and so today we are um, in Acts chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 42. Um, 12 through 42. The last couple of weeks, um, you're going to see this one kind of start to take a shift um, so the last few weeks have really been uh, kind of talking around the idea of just generosity. And so that was kind of one of the first markers of the church was when the Holy Spirit fell on them in Pentecost and when Peter began to preach and teach to uh, the disciples and to the people of the church. Um, one thing that we saw is that uh, there was this fellowship that was birthed out of the church. There was this coming together of the people um, with one another, not only in corporate gatherings um, in temples and synagogues, but they were also going house to house, breaking bread with one another, as we see saw in Acts chapter 2. Um, but what we saw in Acts chapter 4 and 5, um, the beginning of 5, was kind of this this now instructing of what it looks like to be generous. Um, and this wasn't a heavy-handed generosity. This was, was not the apostles looking at the people and saying, we demand that you give to us. We demand that you tithe to us. We, we are commanding this as far as it is no longer your possessions, but it is now the church's possessions, and you are to give to the church. And, and so what we looked at over the last couple of weeks were really two examples of Barnabas and then Ananias and Sapphira, Barnabas was this guy who literally his, his name means son of encouragement. He's just an encourager. He, he's the guy that you want hanging out with you at all times because he's going to make you feel better about yourself. Like, he's, hey, it's okay. Like, we're, we're going to work on it. You're going to get better at this. Hey, you did great over here. Like, he is an encourager. He's, he's someone that you enjoy, like, you want to spend long hours with. 
um, this guy. And, and one of the things that we know about Barnabas, not only was he an encourager, but he was a very generous guy. He had wealth, he had um, land, and he took his land and he sold it, and he brought the land to the disciples, and, and he laid it down at their feet, and he said, hey, do with this as you see um, fit in order to feed the poor in order to minister to the poor in order to distribute to anybody who had need and so that was Barnabas and then we saw Ananias and Sapphira at the same time right in the same story where they had some land they had some wealth they sold the land and in selling the land they came to the church and they withheld a portion of the profits and then gave to the church but what they did was when they gave to the church, they said they gave all of the prophets, not just some of the prophets. And so they lied. And so what they ultimately were, what we found out about them was, one, they love money. Um, and, and you're like, well, I mean, I love money too. Like, I, I want to make money. Well, there's a difference in, in needing money and having money to be able to use to steward, to pay your bills, to be able to bless others, to be able to give, to be able to, to use it in the way that God designs you to use money. And then there's the other side of it where we idolize money, where, where we, um, it, it kind of becomes our master. Our life is controlled by the money that we have or don't have for that matter. And this was Ananias and Sapphira. Um, they loved their money so much that when they sold the land and saw the profits, they could not think about giving all of it. So they wanted to keep some for themselves. And one of the things that we saw there was, again, it's not, it wasn't a command of the apostles for them to give all of it. When, when uh, the apostles start talking to them, they literally asked, like, um, when, before you sold the land, was it not your land? So it was your possession. You can do with it what you want to do with it. And then even when you sold it, was the profits not your profits to do what you want to do with it? So they're saying, like, why are you coming in trying to pretend you're more than you are? Why are you trying to say that you're giving more than you're actually giving? Like, what they were really trying to get down to was the root of the issue of Ananias and Sapphira, which was a love for money, not a love for generosity, not a love for God, not a love for the church, not a love for the gospel, and ultimately giving to a mission Rather, they just wanted to be viewed as around everyone else as better than what they actually were. And so it was hypocritical. It was very self-righteous of them to come into that place. And so we kind of left that in application last week is, man, if you want to give, give. If you don't want to give, don't give. Like that's kind of where we stand is we, we don't want people, a part of the district church, feeling this weight and burden that in order for me to be a good Christian, I have to give, or I'm supposed to give. And if I don't give, God's going to smite me, or God's going to kill me. God did not kill Ananias and Sapphira because they withheld prophets. They died because they were self-righteous, hypocritical sinners who lied not to men, but to God. And so it was the sin that killed them, not the command to give, and they didn't give. And so when we came in here, we, we want people to be joyfully and generous when it comes to how you steward the finances that God has blessed you, but at the same time, not let that be heavy-handed for you. Not let that be a, a weight or a burden, because when Jesus comes onto the scene, what does he say? Like, 
my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so and that, that comes to everything. That comes to the relationships you have. It comes to the jobs you have. It comes to the money that you have. It comes to all those possessions that God is providing for you. He is providing for you to do two things. And this is kind of the big theme that we had over the last couple of weeks. The two things was is to tighten your heart in relationship towards others. And it's to loosen your heart in relationship towards things. That's, that's what God is doing with us as a community of faith, as a church, as a people of Scripture, as a people of the gospel. God is tightening, binding our hearts in relation to others. He's wanting you to see others as more valuable than things so that when you look at your things, your mindset is, how can I loosen kind of my grip on my stuff and be able to distribute in a way in which I can bless others, in which I can love others, in which I can serve others, in which I can serve the gospel in the sake of the name of Jesus Christ being spread in the city of Indianapolis. How can I get that message out? That might look like me reordering or restructuring the way that we steward our lives in such a way that we spend our time differently, we spend our energy differently, we spend our money differently. And so those are things that you work out amongst your household between you and the Lord and how you're going to ultimately tighten yourself towards others and towards the Lord and then loosen yourselves of the material things that you have. And so that's where we were over the last couple of weeks. And then it kind of shifts and transitions into um, some things that we've heard throughout the book of Acts already. And so this isn't going to be a sermon that's kind of like a new thing. Really, this is kind of going to be the the third of the the following of the, the apostles doing miracles and performing signs and then Peter preaching a sermon and then them getting arrested like that kind of is the theme that we see throughout but again the reason why I think Luke as he's writing this keeps drawing us back to these themes is because God always shows up in those moments in order to do something for the sake of his name and that's what we're going to see here um, today in Acts 12 or in Acts 5 verses 12 through 42 and um, I'm going to do it a little bit differently usually I just read through the whole thing and then kind of come back to it and hit some points um, but today what I'm going to do is I'm just going to I'm going to read through but I'm going to pause as I read through and just kind of address a couple of points when when we look at the scriptures so picking up in verse 12 now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So I want to just kind of pause here for a second on these two verses. Just to be clear here, this is not a holier-than-thou um, kind of speech that you're hearing from the apostles. This is not a no one dares come try and, and, and become an apostle, or no one dares come and try to, to enter into leadership of the church. I mean, at this point in these passages, you have Barnabas, who we just heard from, who we just heard of, who does later become a prominent leader in the church, so much so that, that they send him, as we'll see in Acts chapter 11, to be one of the staff members, lead elders of the church in Antioch, where the entire center of operations of Christianity shifts from Jerusalem ultimately to Antioch. So Antioch's a big deal, and Barnabas becomes one of the leaders of that church. And then in Acts 13, as we'll see, Barnabas ultimately gets sent out with the Apostle Paul on the first three 
three uh, missionary journeys that that Paul goes on. So like literally Barnabas is is a big deal in the church and Barnabas at this point isn't an apostle isn't and on leadership among them. So it's not this thing that you can't ever become that. So it's not saying that no one uh, no one ever dared the thought of becoming in leadership as if the apostles are something that cannot be touched. But rather, it's the office that they hold, which was highly respected, which was held in high esteem. When, when it says none of the rest dared join them, that's not saying that these apostles were untouchable or unapproachable. I think a lot of times we, we get that kind of feeling when it comes to church that, that we can't talk to leadership or we can't address leadership or we can't hold leadership accountable or we can't come alongside leadership and offer our own, our own voice, our own opinions, our own thoughts. And, and I just want to put that out there that your voice matters because here's the, re, here's the thing, even though I'm one of the pastors of the district and one of the teaching pastors of the district, I'm still a member of the district church. I'm a member just like you, and so I, I need people alongside of me, walking alongside of me, being able to call out when I'm off, being able to encourage when I'm nailing it, being able to love me well and to serve me well. And, to, and I'm not saying, like, serve me, like, you know, go get me a coffee. I, I'm, I'm saying, like, serve me in my life and my soul and, and encouragement and so forth. I mean, just for example, back there when Kelsey was up here doing the lament and, and hit on an issue that's been hard for us in the past and and Riley comes over and puts his arm around me like that's serving that's loving that's encouraging and so we we need that on leadership don't think that because they're leadership that they're holier than thou or that there's this extra kind of level of grace upon them or that there's this extra level of spirituality upon them that they don't need our prayers that they don't need our word of encouragement that they don't need our love that they don't need our text messages or those things we we do. We absolutely do. And, and, and I've heard this for the, I mean, for the last 12 years in ministry, um, but I've always kind of been like, yeah, well, that's just y'all saying that for you senior pastors or for you lead pastors. But they always say the guys at the top are the most alone that are in ministry. They're the most alone when it comes to friendships, when it comes to the people in the church. And, and I've always thought that, but I was like, well, that's never going to be our case when, whenever I step into that position. But there's times where it's true. Um, because, again, that people just think you're, you're there, and so you're good to go. And it's just not a reality. It's not a reality. So they hold the calling that God has given to the apostles with utmost respect, and therefore... There's no power struggle for control in this church. There's no guys trying to come up and take from them what God has called them. But rather, what do we see in Scripture? We see this in 1 Corinthians, that there are members of the body of Christ. And every member has a place and a calling and a ministry. And so there are specific giftings that God has called you to in order for you to fulfill so that the body of Christ can move and function and ultimately serve the community around there. And so that's our thing when we look at this is, is we, we hold in high respect, yes, the calling of pastors and elders, but we hold in high respect the calling of 
every single person that's a part of the district church that has a place and that has a ministry that God has uniquely wired and designed you for. And it, that that is what we want to seek out. That's what we want to mine as we have relationships and conversations with you is looking for how God has wired you and designed you and gifted you in order for the gospel to be able to reach each one of us as well as for each one of us that are outside of the walls of the district church or the fashion mall, for that matter. Verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And let's pause here for a minute. I'm, I'll speed up here in a minute. Don't think I'm just doing like two verses each and then like a 30-minute sermon, but let's pause here for a minute. Um, did it just say that Peter's shadow was literally healing people? I mean, because that's, that's what it says. Like, they were bringing their people into the streets so that as Peter's walking by, they're just hoping that even his shadow would touch them and ultimately heal them. Henry Alford, who is um, a commentator of whom Charles Spurgeon once said, he's in an invaluable aid to the critical study of the Scriptures. Henry Alford says this regarding this passage. We need find no stumbling block in the fact of Peter's shadow having been believed to be the medium of working miracles. Cannot the Creator's Spirit work with any instruments or with none as pleases Him? And what is a hand or a voice more than a shadow except that the analogy of the ordinary instrument is a greater help to faith in the recipient? Where faith, as apparently here, did not need this help, the less likely medium was adopted and remark that only in the case of our Lord and his two great apostles, which are Peter and Paul, and Elisha in the Old Testament, have we instances of this healing virtue in the mere contact with or accessories of the person. But what a fertile harvest of superstition and imposture has been made to bring out these scarcity examples. Hard to follow there in Henry Alford. He, was, he predates Spurgeon, so we know he's a long time ago. Um, but one of the big things that he was grabbing for here was this idea that there was a group of, or, or maybe a sect of Christianity that kind of adopted this idea of superstition or supernatural ways of healing people when it comes to shadows or handkerchiefs with the Apostle Paul. And so I know you've all seen it on TV, right? Like, it's pay your $19.99, we're going to send you this... <clears throat> We're going to send you this uh, healing handkerchief, and you rub it on your elbow, and you're good to go. Rub it on your knees. You won't need the knee surgery. Like, we've all seen that, and, and that's really playing off of these types of passages where it's been the Apostle Paul with the handkerchief, with Jesus just being able to touch his garment, with Peter in the shadow. And the reality here that we're going to see here in a minute is one of the accusations that happened with um, the disciples, the apostles, 
where was the, the word of God that was preached had filled everyone in Jerusalem. So the word of God was so gossiped in Jerusalem that everybody had heard it. And because everyone had heard it, they've had the ability and opportunity to be able to respond to that in faith. And so a lot of commentaries would say that the mere fact that the people had heard the word of God spread throughout Jerusalem and then brought their people to the apostles, to the disciples, in order to provide or find healing for their people was an act of faith on their part in which the faith was already there for God to be able to heal. And so the instrument now in that matter really didn't matter. Whether it was them saying you're healed or whether it was them laying hands on them to heal or whether it was a shadow coming by to heal, the word of God had already gone out. What God was able to do has already been spoken of and these people are now bringing their, their, their own out by faith in Christ, in who he is, and therefore are now healing. So don't get sidetracked on this idea that like, well, hey, maybe if I can just like walk around Indianapolis and, and pray for God to use my shadow, I won't have to say anything to anybody. Or I won't have to like pray for anybody in that type of way. Like, God, just use my shadow. Or like, God, if I leave my jacket on this chair and someone grabs it, maybe they'll get healed by touching my jacket. Like, like let's not go that route because that's not what the scriptures are saying. What the scriptures are saying is that the word of God goes out. People receive and hear the word of God, and that produces within them faith to be able to respond to the word of God, to be able to then have God show up in their lives in miraculous ways of signs and wonders that he was doing through the apostles here. And so the people also gathered all around, bringing the sick to those who were afflicted with unclean spirits. Let's keep going. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. A couple of things I want to point out here. First of all, this high priest and the party of the Sadducees, they were the upper social and economic elites of Judean society. I mean, they are the, the top of the top. As a whole, the group fulfilled various political, social, religious roles, including maintaining the temple. So this group, who's basically at the top of, of all of the lifestyle of Judean culture, are the ones who are now filled with jealousy at the apostles. Now, do you think, like, think about that. These are, and I'll just say it for the sake of saying it, these are the Carmel elites. Like, these are the, the people in Indianapolis who, who everyone else kind of looks at. Oh, it's the fashion mall. It's the 1% as people refer to this mall. And I've heard that. Oh, like It's Castleton, 99%. Fashion mall, 1%. This is what they say around Indianapolis. And so what they're saying is these people are now becoming filled with jealousy. Now, why are they becoming filled with jealousy? Because what's happening is the entire socioeconomic makeup of Jerusalem is now starting to shift that literally multitudes of people every single day are being added to the Lord they're being added to this community of faith this church that has been planted in Jerusalem these people are Jews who are being added we are not in acts at the place yet where the first Gentile has been converted 
So these are Jews who are being converted daily, which means the livelihood of those who are over the Judean culture, who are over the Jewish and religious system, are now having their livelihood um, ultimately threatened because of this movement, this way. So maybe they're starting to see their, their prominence. Maybe they're starting to see their security. Maybe their, their stability. All the things that kind of allow them to live the lifestyle that they live is now starting to crumble underneath their feet. And so absolutely they're going to be filled with jealousy and they're going to be filled with anger towards them. It wasn't enough to just imprison them, but it says they actually imprison them in a public prison. So they're, they're trying to snuff this movement out by publicly ridiculing and getting the apostles before everybody and basically saying, do you want, do you want to be like them? Do you want to be in jail? If you want to be in jail, keep preaching this Jesus. Keep going around and sharing this Jesus with those around you. And so two things that that does is the spirit of sin envies uh, or the spirit of sin envies other people's success and wants to destroy them that's what's happening with these sadducees and these scribes and these pharisees that we're about to see is they're filled with envy and that sin wants to then destroy others where the spirit of christ celebrates other people's successes by showing them honor what does it say in romans 12 I, i love this outdo one another in honor it's like a competition to show honor over one another. Hey, man, no, 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 no. You, you nailed that email that you sent me the other day. It was so good. Please send me more emails like this. Or you nailed it when you baked that cake for me and sent it to my house. Chocolate ganache. Love it. If you want to do that, send it my way. Like you're, you're awesome in the way that you've encouraged me. Like just honoring people and outdoing one another and showing honor. That's what the gospel produces. Not an envying of, I'm jealous of your success. I'm jealous of your voice. I'm jealous of your speaking ability. I'm jealous of, of, of your administration skills behind the scenes. I'm jealous of your humility. I'm jealous of those things. That's not the gospel that's producing that. That's the sin and the flesh within us that's producing that. And that's what we're seeing in full bore right here from these Pharisees and these Sadducees is the sin of envy. Of We're seeing this popularity begin to happen where everyone's beginning to love them. And therefore, they're loving us less. And because they're loving us less, we need to destroy them so we can get our people back. That's what they're trying to have happen here. This is the narrative that's being played out between these two belief systems, and we now want to see how God steps in to act. Verse 19, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. One thing we know to be true about God is that He is relentless when it comes to the fame of his name. He's relentless. He will do whatever it takes in order for the fame of his name to be preached and to to be taught and to be shared among people. And so if they're going to take his boys, they're going to take his apostles, they're going to take his disciples and imprison them, God's going to say, no, that's not going to happen. Let me just send an angel. Angel's going to do something miraculous and open up a door without the guards being able to see it. The apostles are going to walk out, and I'm going to have them continue preaching and teaching and proclaiming my name because Habakkuk 2.14 says, The glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. 
I don't know the last time you've been out in the waters or on the sea, but there's water everywhere. And so just as the water covers the sea, the glory of God is going to cover the earth. And the way God employs us for that to happen is by sending us to preach and to teach and to share the good news of his word and the story of his redemption and the story of all that God is doing. That's literally our history is telling his story. History, his story, whatever. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Do you see how much of their position and prominence is, is now being stripped from them, where they, used to, um, where they used to exert control over the people? Now they're afraid that the people are literally going to kill them if they try to do something to these apostles and and disciples and when they had brought them they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying we strictly charged you not to teach in this name yet here you have filled jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us that is my lifelong hope for both my life and the life of our church is that we would be accused by whomever in Indianapolis, that we filled Indianapolis with the name of Jesus Christ. That we shared the gospel so much so that everyone in Indianapolis has heard of Jesus and has heard of the forgiveness that's offered to him that is here. What an accusation. Verse 29. So Peter and the apostles then answered them, and here's Peter's third sermon rolling into it. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Remember, I mean, that's, that's Peter's M.O., right? Like, we're, the God of our fathers, which he's a Jew, so he's now telling the, the Sadducees and the scribes and the Pharisees, the God of our fathers, including your fathers, raised Jesus Oh, by the way, you killed him. I mean, very seeker-sensitive sermon here. Like, he's definitely wanting them to just love this. Oh, amen, brother. Yeah, we killed him. Like, no, that's not what's being provoked out of this. No, he's wanting them to make sure that they know their position in this story so that ultimately they can come to repentance. Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God then exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them, right? I mean, they were just accused as murderers. So yeah, let us now be murderers. We want to kill you. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. 
the Pharisees were um, a Jewish religious sect that derived their name from a Hebrew word that means separatist. They literally created a group within Judaism in which they wanted to be completely separated from anybody that was unclean or anybody that was Gentile or anybody that was ill-religious Jews. They did not want to associate with any of those types of people. And so they literally created a holy huddle, if you will, of people in order for them to be able to look at the law of God and to then create rules around the law of God so that they then make themselves feel way better about themselves. Hey, not only do we have the Ten Commandments on our doorposts, but we just like added amendments to the Ten Commandments. We then added other things around it to show ourselves to be that much holier than everybody else. These are the Pharisees, and this is why so many times throughout the Scriptures, you're going to see Jesus oppose the Pharisees by calling them self-righteous hypocrites. Because their righteousness is not dependent upon Jesus and what He's ultimately provided for them, but their righteousness is dependent upon the law, which we know you cannot find righteousness from, even though the law itself is righteous. But even that, they took it way more way further. We'll see later in Acts um, an, a, a, an interaction between Jesus and a Pharisee that, that Luke is going to reference where this Pharisee was so much a Pharisee that he's priding himself off of tithing not only just 10% of his money, but he's tithing 10% of his spices in his spice rack. Like, look how holy I am that I give God 10% of all my dill leaves. Like, that's just stupid. But yet, this is what they prided themselves on was external, religious, just going through the motions types of acts in order for God to look at them and say, yeah, you're, you're awesome. I want you on my team. That's what they were ultimately after. So we have one of their prominent teachers here, Gamaliel. Now, I respect, I highly respect Gamaliel. He is one of the leading rabbis in this day and age. At this time, the Apostle Paul, who we'll see in Acts chapter 9 and 10 when he goes through his conversion, the Apostle Paul is a student of Gamaliel. He's a pupil of his. In order to become a pupil of his, you have to be like the best of the best of the best when it comes to Jewish boys. So like by the age of five, you have the Torah memorized, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books of the Old Testament memorized by the age of five. Then they take the best of the best and then send them into the next thing, which is called the Beit Talmud, which is then memorizing from the Torah up to Psalms and Proverbs. Memorized. And then from there, they take the best of the best, and that's by the age of 12. They take the best of the best. And then after that, they then take... Um, you have to have the entire Old Testament memorized. And from that point, whoever the rabbis are will then choose from among them who they think is going to ultimately take their place. And Rabbi Gamaliel, who was the leading teacher of the Jewish Pharisees and of the Jewish religion in the first century, picked Paul or Saul at that time to be his pupil. And so this is the one who is now sharing this with the rest of the council. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, 
claiming to be a somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Now just, this is a guy who does not believe in Jesus, but is Jewish, so he does believe in God. And, and is trying to remind this council that is supposed to be leading the people in their walk with God, their relationship with God. He's now telling them, guys, what are we doing? We serve God who, if he's going to do something, we can't stop it. And if we can't stop it, but we try to, not only are we going to be opposing whatever this thing is, but we're ultimately going to be opposing him. And so this is a fantastic warning that, that I see here within the scriptures that aren't only for us as believers when it comes to trying to thwart the promises of God, when it comes to thwarting the will of God. Like, God is going to do what God wants to do. Amen? Like, like I'm excited that God will do what God wants to do without it depending on me. Because if it's depending or conditioned on me in any way whatsoever, then God's going to go somewhere else. He's going to use someone else. He's going to work with someone else because I stumble and fumble every single day and frustrate him every single day. I guarantee that happens. But because of the blood of Jesus that's been poured over me and my past, present, and future sins are taken care of, God's able to look at me and say, well done, that good and faithful servant. I'm fully pleased with you because of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm going to use you in order to share the gospel, in order to get the gospel out. And just so you know, there are people that I'm going to save because of that word being spread. And there's nothing that you can do to mess that up. Man, thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, God, that you're doing that. And this rabbi is having just a moment here of, hey, wait a minute, what are we doing? Like, we're supposed to be a religion that is worshiping God, and if God is on this, then we can't do anything about it. And so he kind of puts it out there, let's just see what happens. Let them go, and let's see what happens. And so they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them. Doesn't sound like they took the advice that much, right? Like, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And I love how this, this finishes up here. Then they left the presence of the council. This is the apostles and disciples now. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They left the council feeling
dishonor for the name of Jesus. That reminds me of John the Baptist. Where when he finds himself at the end of his life, I know I've shared this story many times, where in Luke 2, Jesus of John the Baptist says there's no one greater than John the Baptist. And so, you're great, but you're not John the Baptist. There's no one born of woman who's ever lived better than him. According to Jesus, Jesus doesn't lie. John the Baptist, his entire life is devoted to preaching and proclaiming Christ, preparing the way so that people don't miss him. That's basically his message. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. He's here. Kingdom's here. He's coming. Like, don't miss him. John the Baptist finds himself at the end of his life imprisoned for doing what Jesus called him to do, which was to preach and to proclaim his name. He gets imprisoned. John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Like, maybe he's wondering, like, I'd, I'm the best, and yet I'm in prison, didn't really see my life going that way, kind of wanted to retire on a, on a lake or something like that. Like, why am I in prison? Jesus sends him back, his disciples back with a, a benediction from Isaiah that says, the poor will be ministered to, the blind will see, the lame will walk, but he leaves off the end of the benediction, which says the prisoners will go free. Which is basically him saying, I am the Lord. I am going to do what I'm going to do. And you're going to be beheaded because of a little stripper girl. And John the Baptist in John chapter 3 says this regarding Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. We see that fleshing itself out here in the rhythm of the church. The apostles count it worthy to suffer dishonor. They were publicly humiliated, publicly shamed, put in prison. No one wants to deal with anybody who's in prison. No one wants to hang out with them. No one wants to associate with them. And yet they're looking at it and saying, man, thank you, God, that you publicly dishonored me in order for your name to be made much of and to be magnified and to be seen as beautiful amidst everything that's going on in our culture. What that tells me is that for us, that's, a, that's an invitation for us not to think, help me with this, I think it's Jen Wilkin, not to think of ourselves, not to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. Okay, whoever it is. Woman's Bible study, all right, I'm not in it. Um, but it, it's not to look at ourselves as if we're not valuable to God because he employs us, he saved us, he paid Jesus in order to have us. But it is for us to look at ourselves and to be selfless, which is not only tightening ourselves to others, but loosening ourselves of ourselves. Not just our possessions, not just our things, but what I expect from others, what I want from others, 
what I demand from others, what I think others should be doing or acting, all of those things. Like, like you don't owe me anything. Because in Jesus, I have everything that I need. And therefore, because I have everything that I need in Him, I'm now free to give everything and not expect anything in return. Because in Jesus, I'm fully satisfied. And that's what they're getting at here. In Christ, we are fully satisfied. Therefore, we don't even care about the honor of our name. We don't care about what people are saying about us or what they think about us or the fact that they just beat us and accused us of these things. All we care about is the name of Jesus because we've experienced him. We've experienced him. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Really listened to the council, didn't they? Don't you dare say another word about Jesus Christ. All right. Hey, tomorrow, 3 o'clock, temple. All right, we're going to go preach and teach Jesus. Hey, you cover this house. You go to that house. I'm going to go to this house. Let's just keep preaching Jesus, right? Like, they need Jesus. They don't need this council. Who cares what the council They're going to beat us if they kill us to die as gain. If they let us live to live as Christ. Like, let's just get out and let's just keep doing what God has called us to do because we serve God. We don't serve man. We revere God. We don't revere men. We're more concerned about what God thinks rather than what men think. And so let's get after God and do what God wants us to do because in that we find satisfaction. In that we find joy. In that we find value. In that we find everything that we possibly want in this life and so houses and cars and wealth those things don't matter to us what matters to us is the wealth and renown of Jesus being spread and getting into the lives of the people so let's get after Jesus and let's get after people let's loosen ourselves of ourselves let's loosen ourselves of our things and let's tighten ourselves to those around us because that's exactly what the Holy Spirit was doing with the church in the book of Acts. And so let's pray, let's plead, let's beg for the Holy Spirit to grip our hearts and our minds in such a way that we respond in this way to what God has done for us every single day. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Um, God, we worship you for what you are doing in and through our hearts and our minds. God, I, I pray that we as a church would, would be emboldened with this sense of um, power and calling to be able to share your word, to be able to not shirk from teaching others your way, your life, your truth. God, we know that there comes opposition with this. We know that there are opposition in, in conversations. Sometimes there are friendships that might um, begin to tear because of a stance that we take in Scripture or because of the person that we serve in Christ. God, I pray that, that you would be in the midst of those conversations to be able to lead people to you and to be able to find you, and to be able to rest in the repentance and forgiveness that you grant to us. 
So, Father, this is what we pray for. This is what we hope for. We hope that we would be a people who are marked by the gospel in such a way that even after being beaten and threatened to speak nothing of Jesus, that we would then commend ourselves to do nothing but speak the name of Jesus. So guide us in that, Father. Lead us there. For it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at